Ahoy authors! You're listening to The Writership Podcast, a show focused on helping indie authors master self-editing skills. So come aboard and get ready to find the treasure in your manuscript with hosts Leslie Watts and Clark Chamberlain. Welcome to episode 112 of The Writership Podcast. Today, we're talking about flashbacks. I'm Leslie Watts, here with Clark Chamberlain from The Book Editor Show. To learn more about the podcast, visit writership.com slash podcast. As you know, the podcast is sponsored by Jim Kukrell from Author Marketing Club. Jim has just launched his new service for authors called Happy Book Reviews. We all know that books with more high-quality reviews sell more copies. Happybookreviews.com is a service where Jim hopes to make your book happy with reviews. Check out the options at www.happybookreviews.com. Dot com because nobody likes a sad book. You can make your book happy with reviews. Boy, isn't that true? Nobody does like a sad book. No one likes a sad book. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, unless it's, you know, a genre that lends itself to sadness, to sadness. and you're choosing it. Mm-hmm. You want yeah. to, in, you know, envelop yourself in sadness. You just kind of... Happens sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> That's hard to say. Oh, hey, so flashbacks yeah. to the future. No, yeah. that's what keeps coming into my head. I kept com- trying to come up with something fun and clever to say about flashbacks, and I, I can't, really. No. And, uh, like, so many times, like, I, I despise flashbacks. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but not often, you know, not always. Like, it, because right. just when they're used incorrectly or used... um for the wrong purpose. Like they don't understand what their story is about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Because they can be a great tool mm-hmm. to, to go back obviously in time bef- to a time before the story starts so that you don't have to include a lot of extra backstory that's mm-hmm. not necessary. Um, yeah. And then, yeah. So it's a great tool and it can be a little tricky to execute, mm-hmm. but we're going to talk about well, yeah. it can really work. Yeah. Like it can pay off. So, like, I mean, you can think about stories that are told um, where you're actually revealing things through flashback, where you're seeing things unfold that way. And that mm-hmm. really works. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to just toss in flashbacks willy nilly when you could have created the story to be stronger without them. Like it's a choice. Like, and that's why we're doing it. So you can see how to use it right. And when it's appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. I love those. Um, I love one more thing before we dive in. <laughs> Just that I love flashbacks where you're seeing the same scene over and over again, but you get a couple more details revealed mm-hmm. each time. Love that. Yeah, that is fun. Or, <laughs> Or when you uh, are getting it from different points of view, the same scene over and over again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> All right. So, oh, yes. Do you have a quote for us? I do. Excellent. From Nancy, Nancy Kress, who writes, A writer always pays a price for flashbacks. Any flashback, no matter how well written or interesting, will distance your reader from the action. This is because flashbacks shatter the illusion that the reader is a fly on the wall witnessing events as they happen right now. 
the flashback is not happening right now. It is, by definition, already over. Are you more thrilled by a kiss you experienced today or one you remember from a year ago? Flashbacks are not as immediate as story time. Even so, the flashback can be a good choice for a second scene if you gain more in-depth and clarity than you lose in immediacy. How true. Yeah. Yeah, and it's re- it's funny because we can uh, we can like I'm not I don't know if the kiss analogy works completely because you could kind of romanticize something old. Um, yeah. You know, but whatever about that it is true right and and so true of so many things in writing that there are advantages and disadvantages and it's all about kind of figuring that out and and do you gain more than you lose by using a particular technique or you know strategy in the story yeah because flashbacks like any type of um, backstory information the question really should come down to is does the reader need to know this do they care um, can the story work without it? And th- so I'll use a film example here real quick. Like Suicide Squad that came out has a bunch of flashback scenes in it that really they think that they needed them to explain characters, but we would have, we would have learned about those characters had they just done the story, you know, in the present. Mm-hmm. And so those like really were pulling out and had a lot of disservice to the the audience versus actually helping yeah yeah that's so interesting because we you know oftentimes we think we need more explanation more you know holding the reader's hand than we do mm-hmm. yeah yep. trust your reader trust, trust your reader. reader yes <laughs> okay i'm looking at my notes and i have a little announcement to read later but i'm gonna i'm gonna hold off on that oh it's an open loop you're keeping us interested what's it gonna be yeah now (laughs) i just need to remember to do it (laughs) (laughs) i'll Uh, try to remind you okay no guarantee yeah you know we'll just wing it (laughs) somebody call us on it if i miss it okay so we have a submission today that is called The 52-Week Chronicles by Jocelyn Westbrook. And this is actually available on Amazon already. So if you are interested in the story and want to keep reading, we'll have the link in the show notes for you to check out. This is chiclet slash romantic comedy. The word count is 65,000. And this is chapter one in the book and there uh is there's some strong language with uh some f-bombs so if that's not your bag then you might want to give this one a mix a miss rather (laughs) not a mix okay we have the 52 week chronicles i fucking hate mondays And yes, I do very much realize most people on planet Earth also hate Mondays, but not as much as I do. No, most hate this day of the week because it means their bombastic weekend is over, or it signifies the inevitable commencement of an appalling work week. Or some hate it because that because they party too damn much each weekend and subsequently battle a brutal Monday hangover. But as for me, 
My hatred for Monday far exceeds any of those prissy explanations. Everything bad that's ever happened to me has happened on a Monday. And I mean everything. Case in point, a chronological list of every bad event in my life that has occurred on a Monday. One, Susie Q, my pet hamster, choked on a marble and died. Two, while roller skating, I fell after tripping on a bump in the sidewalk and broke my ankle. Three, my period started at school. I was wearing a white mini skirt. Four, Michael Zane, the hottest guy in school, dumped me in front of everyone inside the lunchroom cafeteria. Five, during a talent show competition, I slipped on stage and chipped a tooth. Six, after much consideration, I ditched school for the first time and got caught. Seven, received my first speeding ticket. But the cute officer asked me out on a date, which nullified the experience. Eight, I failed my first writing course in college, and my major was journalism. Nine, my heart was shattered by a cheating boyfriend. Ten, I got fired. To make matters worse, number nine and number ten just so happened to occur on the same Monday, which, by the way, is today. What are the fucking odds of that happening? Perhaps the odds increased because the heartbreaking, cheating-ass boyfriend is also my boss. Correction, he was my boss. You see, Mr. Jerkboy thought it was his civil duty to fire me after I caught him screwing the crap out of his big-breasted, toothpick-wasted, grossly dim-witted editorial assistant. In my office! How the hell could he do this to me? To us! We met two years ago. It was my last year in college. Back then, I had applied to countless newspapers for an internship. All of them turned me down, probably because of my low GPA. But please don't judge me. NYU was a considerably arduous university. I majored in journalism with a minor in food studies. Growing up, my mom and dad were sergeants in the U.S. Air Force. We traveled all over, and I was the world-class epitome of a military brat. Our travels led to my obsession with food. Not a manic type of an obsession. I mean, the type of an obsession that makes a person appreciate the fine art of cuisine. And not only did I love eating food, I also loved writing about it. When most girls were writing dear diary entries about boy crushes, bitchy classmates, or evil parents, I was writing a diary entry about how exceptional or how horrific a meal was. Naturally, when I got accepted into NYU, I chose a major that would lead me to a career in writing, journalism, and a minor that would suggest I am well-versed in the subject matter of food food studies. I dreamed of one day becoming a food critic, but not any food critic. I dreamed of becoming a notably acclaimed food critic, 
known only by name. Michelin star chefs would eagerly read reviews written by me, Penelope Monroe, in hopes they'd still be able to keep their well-merited star rating. Many newspapers weren't ready to take on a new writer, let alone a new writer with a passion for food. However, as luck would have it, during a random online search one Saturday night, I came across the following. The Hudson Newsbee is looking for a college intern or recent college graduate who will work with our lead food critic and other food writers to craft our restaurant and food coverage for both online and print platforms. Candidates should be knowledgeable and passionate about food, write and report well, and be very organized. This is a full-time staff position with benefits. Applicants should email a resume, cover letter, and samples of their own food writing to fooditor at hudsonmediagroup.com. It was as if me and that job opening had been majestically betrothed. Without hesitation, I made all of the required submissions, resume, cover letter, and a sample of food writing straight out of my own diary. I waited on pins and needles for some type of a reply. And then it came, exactly four days later. I had just returned from an early morning kick-me-hard-in-the-ass yoga class in Central Park. I was lounging comfortably on the hardwood living room floor of the Harlem Loft apartment my BFF, Sebastian, and I moved into earlier that spring. It was the first July in three years in which I was not enrolled in any NYU classes. My only assignment over the summer was to score an internship with a newspaper or a magazine. I had just about given up on the Hudson News Bee, but just so happened to scroll through a barrage of emails on my iPad when I saw it. An email from the editor. From... HBN food editor to Penelope Monroe. Subject, your submission. Dear Penelope Monroe, thank you for your recent submission for the open position, or open position. I am highly impressed with your writing as you demonstrate a high regard and passion for food. I would like to set up an in-person interview with you Friday, 9 a.m., Please bring with you two printed copies of a written review of a restaurant in Soho called Cristofano Woods. It's extremely difficult to get a table there, but if you can pull this off, you'll walk into Friday's interview ahead of other candidates. Consider this your first assignment. Good luck! I nearly pissed my yoga pants twice after reading that email. One, interview in two days? Yay! Two, Cristofano Woods? Holy shit! I mean, I had heard of Cristofano Woods. Who hadn't? It was a trendy new restaurant in Soho that everyone had been talking about. Sebastian and I had talked about dining there for months, but couldn't make time in between my classes and his demanding job as a public relations coordinator for Magnifique, a thriving PR firm. Plus, just as the editor mentioned in the email, 
Getting a table at Cristofano Woods was near to impossible. I began to slightly freak out and remember thinking, how the hell can I pull this off? Instinctively, I dialed Sebastian's cell phone. He always seemed to be to have answers when I was in distress. The two of us had been best friends since our first year at NYU. I remember our phone conversation as it occurred as if it occurred just yesterday. Hello, sexy, Sebastian said when he answered my call. What's up? You'll never guess what I'm calling about. I was sure the unconcealed excitement in my voice gave it away. Um, spare me the guessing game, sweetie. I've got a meeting in 10 minutes, and I'd like to make a quick run to the little boy's room. I've got to check out my threads. Demetrio Marks, the super delicious model, is sure to make an appearance. You know firsthand how much I've been crushing on his gorgeousness, he said. You see, when the two of us met during our first year at NYU, Sebastian had just come out to all of his friends and family. However, when I first met him, I knew straight away he was gay and was totally fine with it. Every woman needs a gay best friend. It's like an unwritten rite of passage. Alrighty then, I said. I promise not to hold you up. So... I took in a calming breath, deep breath. I totally scored an interview this Friday with the Hudson Newsbee. I screamed and did a happy dance all over the living room floor. Shut the fuck up. That's so freaking awesome, he said, then paused for a few seconds. Wait, why do I feel like a scathing ass caveat is about to be totally tossed my way right now? You're so psychic, I laughed. The scathing caveat, as you put it, is I will need to dine at a restaurant and write a review about my experience. Piece of cake. You've got a ton of those in your diary alone, Sebastian said. Well, I said, my voice raised an octave, it's not that easy. I'm to write a review about Cristofano Woods. Getting a table there is impossible. Saying it aloud made the reality far more gut-wrenching, causing all of the excitement I had stored up to quickly deflate. I remember crashing back down onto the hardwood floor with a sick feeling in my stomach. Wait, hold the freaking phone. Did you just say Cristofano Woods? Sebastian asked with a hint of excitement in his voice. Yes, I wondered why he seemed so excited when I felt like shit. Okay, so we'll stop the, um, the submission there. But what you should know for our discussion is that is what happens is that that all works out with the restaurant. Um, they get to go there and eat and then Penelope does great in her interview and she's hired. And then about six months later, she begins a relationship with her boss, the formerly mentioned jerk boy. Um, and then, of course, you know that she walked in on him uh, in flagrante, I guess you would say, <laughs> um, with 
uh, with someone else. So that's uh, that's just to give you a little background for as we talk. Yeah, and uh, you can tell like that this is a very strong narrative voice. You know, like uh, the character brings a lot of character right out right away, uh, which I really enjoyed. Yeah, that she's uh, like you say, she's got a strong voice. She's a, a big character. You can kind of you you can you get to know her pretty well pretty quickly, mm-hmm. and and it's it's fun. She's you know she's sassy and um, it's funny and so it's kind of a you know it's perfect for a romantic comedy. And it'll be interesting to see you know, how the rest of the story would go. Like, do we get more lists? Like th- these types of things that are just a little bit out of the norm, mm-hmm. you know, in the in the storytelling, but still at the same time, um, I think adds a lot to this story right here. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I enjoy those kinds of things too. When, you know, a list or... Um, I'm trying to think of other examples that I can't write off the top of my head. But yeah, it's fun to play with that, especially if you have uh, a genre that allows you some uh, some leeway and creativity right. and, and there's humor. Because you can mm-hmm. really play with those thing, kinds of things. Yeah. And um, in a side note, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with uh, flashbacks, but... Um, putting in the food editor at hudsonmediagroup.com. I'm curious if the author owns that and that's a real email that people could send something to and like it brings them into the story, like a doorway into the world of this story. Oh, that is such a good point. You know, it's funny (laughs) as I looked it up Uh just because, uh, as you know, as you do. And and there is a... A place. I think the email or I think the web address is a little different. Uh, So that's something to be mindful of. But I think that's a fantastic idea. And it would be really cool if the author kind of ran with that. Uh, Yeah, that's so smart. So we have a really clever setup here. And it's funny and, and in a way disarming because I forgot that we were in a flashback as I, you know, on my first read through it, and that we're in, we're actually in a different, um, we're, you know, we're at, we're seeing, or she's telling this, right, from, from mm-hmm. later on, um, but we're in scene for much of that f- flashback. Yeah. Yeah, and which, um which can be really good to remember, you know, that the flashback, you can be in a scene in the flashback and it's not just a telling of something that happened. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, to me, of course you could do a short, you know, a little reference or, or something, a little summary, but the, to me, the strength of the flashback is actually getting to be in scene and -hmm. getting the, um, you know, because you lose something with immediacy, but you, the immediacy of distance in time and space and being away from the main story, but you gain in the immediacy of having, being able to picture or, you know, see a full scene 
as opposed to just hearing a couple of lines about something. Yeah. And um, talking about that, like a couple of things that I would say in here that, because remember, we're trying to, like it was saying, the, trying to keep the reader in the story, you know, mm-hmm. and not pulling them out or not reminding them that it's a story. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a couple of lines we're in this scene in this flashback. And then we have a couple of lines that say things like, I remember our phone conversation after, as it occurred just yesterday, as if it occurred just yesterday. Mm-hmm. And what that line does is then it immediately pulls us back out and reminds us that we're in a flashback, not in the, <laughs> in the story taking place. And so like those kind of lines, you've got to be careful of because if do the flashback and then be done with the flashback or, if you have to come out of the flashback, stay out of it for a little while and then move back into it. The, you want to keep it as smooth as possible. No bumps out. Right. Yeah. And I think if we so so let's kind of talk about the like what 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 do you need for a flashback? I mm-hmm. mean, uh, uh, so the when it when it works really well, you have um, an event in the present of the story that triggers the char- the point of view character to start thinking about the past and it shouldn't be just a okay something random happens and i'm thinking about it and it also helps to have something that pulls the character back to the present moment so that you know so it's it's there's causation not just oh i need to get this information in here so i'm going to go ahead and stick it here mm-hmm. uh, and then when you you also want to um one of the things that makes a, a flashback work particularly well is to have a, a powerful scene in the present come before it and so, so that we're well grounded in the story, and then we can kind of we're okay with you know like we've had some forward movement in other words in the in the main story, and then we have we're grounded enough to bounce back to an earlier time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, because when it, when whenever you're in flashback, the story's not actually moving forward. And it's kind of a weird thing. Like it's only the only way to turn those scenes, you know, to create change in the characters, um, how close or far away the character is from their goal is to have a revelation about something that's happened in the past. There can't be any Mm -hmm. causal change in their condition at that point. So the story right is as i said is on hold and so you can use it to reveal motive you can use it to reveal stakes the character can realize something but that's you know that those are some of the limits of that yeah um i often teach it a lot of ways in this way you know it's like it's really trying to think about what what is your story about mm-hmm. and uh using zombies as the example you know, <laughs> most <laughs> most zombie stories are usually either about why the outbreak happened, you know, what led up to the thing, you know, how it was designed or whatever happened, mm-hmm. or the zombie story is about the event happening. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. you know, and survival and getting through it. And mm-hmm. so when you take a look at that, what your story is, you know, like that story about why something happened, the flashbacks are much more applicable to that because you're showing these things at this moment. Like we've seen the moment happen, the breakup. You know, like you said, we've had a full scene of that moment, but we don't understand it at all. And then we get these flashbacks that start explaining that why this event occurred. And it can be a lot stronger versus, you know, if you're telling a story forward, you know, of of the event forward, and then you're just tossing in these flashbacks, it's going to feel less, um, there'll be less power involved with it. Yeah, I think that, um, I mean, another point and along those lines is that when you're opening your story, you want to open your story in scene rather mm-hmm. than in summary or flashback, because we don't know who the character is in this moment, mm-hmm. um, if that makes sense, and, you know, in this context, like that's who they were, you know, and maybe it's even not that long ago, but but they were in some other, you know, some other context back then. And, and we want to start the story where the story begins, and have a powerful scene. So we get to know the setting, the the character. um, And before we jump back into a different story. So that's why um, I was thinking that you know, this is just a suggestion, just something to consider if, you know, if you were playing around with this opening, that it might be good to catch, you know, to start it just a little bit earlier, because it's the same day when she caught her boyfriend boss, um, uh, heavy, yeah, cheating, (laughs) uh, then, you know, like starting there and like that's a hell of an inciting incident Mm -hmm. right and that starts the story with a bang which is one of the reasons why you know some people uh rely on flashbacks because in the opening because they want to like they want to start it with a bang they want a cool you know big inciting incident but if you're going you know if you're back in time then you know, then is that, are you starting in the right place? So that's something Mm -hmm. to consider. And then, so if you were to start like that with, you know, walking in on the boyfriend and his, I think it was his editorial assistant, then, you know, and that have that powerful scene in which she is under stress and see how she reacts and we can kind of get a feel for her. And then have the flashbacks, you know, mm-hmm. have a flashback that reveals a little bit. And you could even, like, stretch that over the course of, say, the beginning hook, you know, the first oh. quarter of the book. You could stretch that out and reveal just bits of it at a time strategically. Um, and that's just one idea. It's not, you know, it's like, not, thou must, <laughs> thou shall do this. <laughs> Uh, not that at all, but but just something to consider if you want to get in some of that and to to just reveal it so there's some mystery. Yeah, absolutely. And um, to to emphasize what you're saying about like having being in the moment, you know, right now, and then going into the flashback. If you have two minutes, 
go to YouTube and type in Thor uh, Ragnarok trailer, the the first one, you know, and it starts, that trailer starts with him falling down on a chain and he's all tied up and he's like, how did I get here? And then it goes and shows these little bits of other things, you know, in the trailer of what has led up to that point. And so that's the kind of idea, you know, like in a very, very micro example. Mm-hmm. So something big, what's going on, adds to the questions and then yeah. going into answers. Yeah, because people are going to want to know what led up to that for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I think so. That, um, you know, another reason some people rely on flashbacks is because is that they're kind of worried about weaving all weaving backstory into the present. Mm-hmm. And although, you know, yeah, that's it's tricky. It is tough to do. But if you're constant, you know, like if you're regularly going into flashback and then popping out again, as you mentioned, it's a jarring experience for, for the reader. And you want them to just, you want it to be really smooth, right? Just sinking yeah. down into, into the story experience and not be aware that they're reading a book. Mm-hmm. Yep, virtual reality. That's where you want them. Right? Yeah. 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 And and then there's one other risk uh, that comes with using flashbacks is that it, they tend to be telling, you know, heavy mm-hmm. on the telling, and and that there's not enough showing because we're t- you're telling about what has happened. Yeah. Rather than actually showing what's happened. And, you know, although we don't, that's not so much the case here. There's some sections with telling, but, but we also get some pretty vivid scenes. Right. Yeah. Which, what they're feeling, you know, actions that are taking place, conversations. Yeah. And, and that's, it's funny because that's what had, like, I didn't catch it at first because of that. And so I think all of that is really great. I would just, you know, consider moving it around, you know, if you were, if you were doing that. Um, there's one other thing I wanted to talk about that again, it's not, doesn't have anything to do with flashback, but this, in this particular, um, uh, section that we read Mm -hmm. and it's this moment when she's talking about, um, who her, who Sebastian is. And it becomes this feeling like, um, so the line is, however, when I first met him, I knew straight away he was gay and I was totally fine with it. And every woman needs a gay best friend. It's like an unwritten rite of passage. So this, there's this line here. And the question is, is why does the line need to be there? And because when I read that line, it makes the character sound like they're actually trying to convince me and themselves that they're okay with this. And so is that the character or, you know, do you just not even have, you don't even have to put this in. Is it necessary? And I don't think that it is probably for this character, unless the character actually is this feeling this way. Yeah, this is a, this, it's a little bit tricky because it could be part of the character's arc and her, mm-hmm. you know, her change over the course of, of the story. And, and we can't tell that from, from the beginning. From one, yeah. Yeah. And, and from that, 
one comment. But I guess what I, my reaction to it, at, you know, when I read it was, it felt a little, it felt cliche, Mm-hmm. That idea that, you know, that every girl needs a gay best friend. And and so I would want to, I guess, if I were going to do that, um, I would want to check it out mm-hmm. just to make sure that it's not, it's not, you know, that it, that it's, that it, on the one hand, you want to be, how do we talk about this? Uh, you want to be sensitive to, you know, people of different groups and and not be actively, you know, not perpetuate stereotypes unless, you know, it, it, yeah, yeah. Unless full it's stop. the character. Unless it's the character and that's part of what you're exploring in the story. Right. Because right now, like I'm writing this book in the 80s and the guys using the word fag and faggot and that's an exploration into that time and into that character and so you're when you're writing stuff that's what you need to ask yourself every time is this am i putting this in here for the right reason or am i because this draws attention to itself this (laughs) is a big mark drawing attention to itself because I don't need to state this about my friend. I cl- clearly he's gay. Like everything that he said before this in the paragraphs before, I don't need to um, shout it from the rooftop here. And so, what is the point of doing it? And then making sure you know if you if you're writing from a point of view that you don't understand that there are places you were talking about this, Leslie. That there's places where you can go in to talk to people so you can get a different perspective mm-hmm. and understand a better way to write it. What was the? Yeah, I I have. Uh, I discovered recently it's a it's a a resource for if you are writing about people who are different from you who are different enough that you want to double check what you're doing and and be mindful about it that you can go and I don't have it off the top of my head but I will definitely add that to the show notes so that if you are again if you're writing about someone who has a very different experience from your own personal experience just as a way to check that out and I want to say that I that I this is going to come out funny but I'm not saying that this author is being you know is necessarily being insensitive or is or has a very different um experience from Sebastian because we don't you know I don't know I don't know the author and I don't know the author's experience so that's not what I'm saying I just when I as you know when I said it was a flag for me that came up and it felt a little cliche and so I wanted to and I'm glad you brought it up because I wanted to talk about it too just you know as something we want to be mindful about are we and and be intentional about how we're using that kind of um, the portrayals and and that kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, just like with anything, just right. like any any of your writing that you do, you want to be deliberate. You want to be intentional. And if you were writing about a guy who uh, fixes cars, you should know some. You should do your research and find out stuff about cars so it sounds right, mm-hmm. and so it doesn't come off sounding. Again, cliche. It doesn't come off sounding um, like a big, big look here. I'm being <laughs> this way button or a flag. So, because yeah. it did, it it caught my attention too, 
And so if it's caught both of our attention, then you probably have other readers that that's going to feel a little off for as well. And so it's just all about like being deliberate in what it is that you're actually trying to say and mean. Mm-hmm. And the character too. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And again, like we need to read the rest of this book because maybe this this line here that we've discussed now for way too long probably <laughs> is <laughs> is perfectly the right line. And but since we haven't read the rest of it, we don't know. Right. Yeah, context is really huge. Um yeah, and I had I had one more thing I wanted to mention and that's again not not related to flashbacks but this was a really interesting opportunity because uh, or about the importance of being specific about about certain details and so when we're you know in the opening you right you don't want to give your whole hand away you want to save some mystery save some open questions for the for the reader to help them pull them through the story um but there were two instances that that were kind of related where I thought, oh, this is a really great opportunity to reveal more of Penelope's character. And and one was that when she says she tells us that she's the epitome of a military brat. And and by saying that, it doesn't really tell us about Penelope except that she had you know, she has parents who are in the military, and so presumably she moved around a lot. But that's not as interesting, I think, to the reader as if we found out what, you know, what for her, for Penelope, what was that experience like? What was, you know, like what was, because I, I was a military brat, but I had a really different ex- experience than most because we didn't move around a lot. It was, you know, for much of my life, we were actually in the same place. And, and so I didn't have the same challenges that a lot of kids who are, whose parents are in the military have. And so I want to know what, what was Penelope's specific experience? And it doesn't have to be a lot. And you don't have to, you know, like do a huge, explanation but just a detail or two that shows us what the experience was like for her and it sounds like that her falling in love with food was her way of dealing with that experience the challenges of that experience but since not all military kids fall in love with food the way that she did or the way that she has there there must be something more to it and that was the something that I wanted to hear and it's definitely okay to you know to hint about it and reveal it later but I wanted a little more specificity in that description so that I knew that it's not just well Penelope's just a typical person who is the kid of military people and the and a person who's interested in food and I think that that is where you, that's where you really connect with readers mm-hmm. because when you get very specific like that, because we all have obsessions. Maybe we don't take it to the, to the length that Penelope does, but we all have stuff we're really interested in and fascinated 
you know, feel fascinated about. And so like, that's a great way to connect with us and help us connect with Penelope. And all of this is to say, <laughs> too, that like, I feel like, you know, we've had a, a lot of like specific criticism, which is not to take away from the strength of the the scenes that that the author has shared here, just a matter of, you know, like, how can you dial it up and make it even more powerful than what you already have. Right. And considerations if you are, because this, right, I mean, the reason why we're doing this, sure, it can be helpful for um, the author whose work is being read, but it's for you as the listener. And you're deciding, what do I want to do with my flashbacks? And Mm -hmm. how do I want to use them? That's all we're doing here Mm -hmm. is so that you can get some good consideration on on, uh, some different sides of how to use it. Yes. And did you want, I, I, I'm remembering you said you had something else oh. you wanted to talk about. Did you yeah. want to do that now? But I want to do it. I want to do it after the editorial after? mission. Yeah. Okay. And thank you. You're welcome. Because <laughs> I had already <laughs> gone to hang out with Penelope. So <laughs> our editorial mission for you this week is about flashbacks. I wanted to say flashback to the future, but no, that doesn't really work. So I'm just going to say flashbacks so like other like any other narrative choice they come with advantages and disadvantages and so you'll best serve your story by understanding what those are and making an intentional choice um, to weigh in each case the depth clarity and emotional power of the flashback against the loss of immediacy and the interruption of the main story so if you have a flashback in your story that you're revising first you want to consider why you're using it you know if if you're worried about writing a full-fledged scene or or weaving the details into the narrative then consider going ahead and writing those big bad scenes and and just letting them spill on the page um if you, if not you still want to check your scene against the questions that i'll share with you in a moment so that's if you already have a flashback in a story you're revising if not if you're just considering it you can check your you know check in with your motives the same way and then and then use these same questions and the first is does your flashback follow a strong present time or present story time scene two is it related to the scene it follows or the one in which it arises you know what is immediately relevant and necessary to the story that you're telling Three, is there a logical trigger in the present sto- in present story time that would naturally lead the character to think about the past? Four, are the time and place clear? So have you provided a smooth transition so the reader knows where and when they are? Five, does it add something to the story that can't be added in any other way? And six, have you focused on a discrete event that supports the story arc. So you can look at all of those questions and and uh, a reminder that you can find the editorial mission in the show notes and you can sign up there on the website at writership.com slash episodes to get these editorial missions delivered right to your box 
yeah. So then <laughs> the announcement <laughs> that I was that I'm moving around is that we have a new Patreon reward that I we got some really good feedback and I didn't check with this person to see if it was okay to mention his name. So I won't mention his name, but you know who you are. Um, we've changed the Patreon reward, which was a, a simple call with, with me once a month to um, we're going to do a a sort of a book club, a quartermaster's book club. So once a month, we'll get together online and analyze a story the same way that you might for, you know, that I might do for a developmental edit, but we'll be looking at stories that are um, exemplary, you know, like this is a, this is a mystery and let's unpack it and see how it, you know, what makes a mystery work and a, and a romance and a thriller and things like that. So you'll be able to apply that technique uh, to your own writing. Um, and remember, if you sign up for Patreon, you also get a shout out on the podcast and featured on our supporters page. So um, you don't have to do that, of course. But if you want to engage more um, with the with us, then that's a great way to do that. And if you want to find out more, you can go to patreon.com slash writership. And remember, the podcast is sponsored by Jim Krukel from the Author Marketing Club. Jim just launched his new service for authors called Happy Book Reviews. We all know that books with more high-quality reviews sell more copies. Happybookreviews.com is a service where Jim hopes to make your book happy with reviews. Check out the options at www.happybookreviews.com because nobody likes a sad book. You can make your book happy with reviews. And if you enjoyed the show and want to support us in different ways, you can tell another writer about us. You can leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher. And we would deeply appreciate that. We've had some great reviews lately, so that was kind of exciting to go discover a couple more. Um, and if you want to have your five pages reviewed, please visit www.writership.com slash submissions. And finally, be sure to check out Clark's 90-Day Healthy Author Challenge at www.clark-chamberlain.com. That's it for episode 112. We'll see you next time on the Writership Podcast. Ready for Leslie and Clark to help you find the treasure in your manuscript? Submit your pages to writership.org forward slash podcast.